Good morning. All right, you're with me. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, as Pastor Larry just encouraged us. So, And as you think about exhortations, and as we've been walking our way through this whole letter from Peter to the early church and to those who are scattered, and really in a lot of ways suffering and separated from those they care about, I want to continue and encourage us, even in a passage that we're going to look at today, you may, have, you may think, oh, he's talking to the elders today. Well, the elders are, most of our elders are down front here uh, for us this morning, and I've asked them to be there because uh, for a couple of reasons, yes, this passage speaks directly to elders in the church. But one of the things it also does is it informs the church as a whole of what an elder's role in the church is doing, and it also gives you some very specific opportunities to know how to pray for your elders and leaders and how to support them as they serve Christ and follow him. So don't turn out, tune out uh, right at the beginning here, just because these this first few verses are directly related to the elders. There's a lot for us to know and learn here, not only about what the elders should be doing, but how to support, and also potentially as a church family, how to look towards future elders and leaders. So as we dig into the first four verses of chapter five, it's been quite a road here, right? We've been walking through First Peter for months. And uh, we've been taking it small pieces at a time, digging in as deep as we can. Uh, and today we're going to take four verses, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So in a minute, I'm going to read those for you. But I want to remind us of two very specific uh, things that we've been walking our way through for the last couple of years together as a church family, as we've made a transition in some of our uh, governance and leadership internally and installing elders and moving towards elders and deacons being the two main groups that lead in our church. There's a saying that you've heard us say before. I want to say it this morning in order to remind us of these two primary offices in the church of elders and deacons, and it's this. Elders serve the church through leading, and deacons lead in the church through serving. And that is just a quick one-sentence analogy that helps us understand kind of the basic elements of these roles in the local church. Any group of people, no matter you're a church or a sports team or a business or wherever, you have to understand how leadership works inside of that and how you're called to not only those who are leading and how they're called to lead, but how you're called to be part of that, whether you're leading or following or in between or serving in any area, what it is you're called to do as a follower of Christ is important. But what it is you're called to do as a follower of Christ will fall into a greater context if you understand how God is leading the church. So today we want to make sure we focus on that. Today's time and this particular word as we get into this sermon is for the church family. It's for the church family to know how God has laid out the church family to function. It's for our current elders so that they can be encouraged and exhorted. And, and I've been waiting for this morning since June because last June we had our transition service. Dr. Crawford Loritz got up here and he spoke right at me for like 20 minutes. And since then, I said, we're eventually going to get to 1 Peter 5. And I'm going to get to do that too. So this is my opportunity to encourage uh, our elders and exhort them, just as I think any leader in the church should be rightfully and biblically exhorted to be like Christ and to follow him well. So we think about it's for the church family. We think about it's for our, our current elders, but it's also for our future elders. And you may be sitting there thinking, maybe God's put this 
in your life as a calling. Not now, but maybe later. Maybe he's working you towards this and leading in the local church in the role of a deacon or an elder in the local church. So today is for you as well, if that's something the Lord might be putting on your heart. So it's for our current elders, it's for all of our church family, and it's for those who might be future leaders. So it does apply this morning. So let's try to listen to the Lord well. Let's have the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts as we walk our way through. I'm going to read these first four verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. So turn in your Bibles or, uh, and get your church app out, but read along with me these first four verses. 1 Peter 5 verse 1 says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's God's word for us this morning that we're going to focus on. And there's some very specific uh, words and analogies and encouragements uh, that are used here. And the first one that I want to kind of bring to us is this term exhortation. So if you look at verse one there, it says, so I exhort the elders among you. And what is this word? Do you, any, I'm sure we don't typically use the word exhort in our everyday lives all the time, but it is a helpful term because it's different than just a uh, suggestion. It's more than just you know, an idea for how this could work. The exhortation here that God gives us, particularly through Peter, and we'll talk about why Peter's a qualified man to give this challenge. But this idea of exhortation is not only an encouragement, but there's also woven into it this idea of a requirement. So it's an encouragement, but it's a little stronger than that. The word is an exhortation. The exhortation is almost like, I could encourage you to do something, which is also helpful, but now I'm going to exhort you, and I'm actually going to maybe even just push you a little bit in the right direction. This exhortation, we, we see these multiple times through Scripture and this word used multiple times in Scripture. And Peter says it for a very specific reason. Why? We have to remember the context of this letter is going to a church that has been scattered. They're exiles. They're undergoing a lot of suffering and trials, partly because of their separation, but partly also because the world around them doesn't want the early church to be what God has called the early church to be. And Satan is working against the church since the first century, and he's working against the church now. So there are dangers involved with being the church that God has called us to be. And in order for those dangers to be navigated rightly, whether they're scattered, people scattered as exiles, or they're gathered together, in order for those dangers to be navigated well, leaders have to know what God has called them to do. In a minute, we're going to talk about these leaders, these elders being compared to shepherds. And this is part of what a shepherd's job is, is to go out in front of where the herd is going, to scout, to look, to avoid any unnecessary dangers, and then to come back and to bring the flock with them so that they know what's out there. It's not a surprise when different things pop up around them. And that's a lot of what this exhortation is for us today. 
Because he's saying, here's the dangers. So God, being all-knowing and caring about his people, his church, his people, and his elders and leaders in those churches, he wants to say, here's the dangers that are going to come. I want you prepared, I want you ready, and I want you to respond rightly. That's part of what's all kind of encapsulated just in these first three words. He says, so I exhort. That's what this exhortation is. It's a stronger piece than an encouragement. It's got a definitive challenge and push to it, but it's also knowing, God knowing what's coming and what's out there. Peter writes to the leaders in the first century because, as we talked about already, there are more perilous times coming than even what they're in right now when he's writing this. Nero is the current emperor at Rome when Peter's writing this, and things get a lot worse for the people of God. And because God knows that's coming, and because he's revealed to Peter that that's on the horizon, he wants Peter to get the elders ready so that they're not surprised and that the people are protected. So he says, I exhort the elders among you. And then Peter talks a little bit about himself. He uses this word elder here twice. He says, I exhort the elders, and then he says, as a fellow elder. I want to talk a little bit about this term for us, because I think in our day and age, the word elder just simply refers, in a lot of times, to just age. Just age. This term is not simply older than. And it's part of it, because experience is involved in this particular term, when he uses the word elder. But it doesn't just mean that these men that he's challenging are older. Because I think we all, in some instances in life, can acknowledge age doesn't always actually equal maturity. It's not automatic. It doesn't come like that. Now, hopefully with age comes maturity. But that's not always the case. So he's talking particularly to these elders, and it's more than just folks that are older than. It's folks who are more mature, who have some experience, who have some things to rely on, and have demonstrated those to the people around them. And he identifies himself as a fellow elder. Now this term is used, there's three different words that this this particular term in the original language of Greek can be used as. And it's these three in scripture we see. Elder, bishop, and pastor. Okay, these three terms are all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. So in the early church, they basically were used in different circumstances to define the topic that was getting talked about. Elder, bishop, or pastor. It's the same word, and it's, there's some variations to it, but I want to define why these three terms are all kind of synonymous and have implications for what we're going to look at today. First, the word elder in that particular term, as it's translated, is used to refer to a maturity of the leader. The word bishop, and sometimes that's used, is used to refer to the responsibility of the leader. So there needs to be maturity involved in leading God's church. There needs to be responsibility involved in leading God's church. And then thirdly, the term pastor refers to the role of the leader. So elder, bishop, and pastor, referring to maturity, responsibility, and role. 
They're all encompassed here as Peter uses this word elder. And he identifies himself as a fellow elder. So if you look at verse 1 here, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. So I'm going to use three big points today. And there'll be a couple ones underneath that as we walk our way through here. But they're in your notes if you're looking at them on the app. But they'll be on the screens too as we walk them through. The first one is this. And verse 1 brings us to us. Elders must have a life-changing personal experience with Christ. This is kind of like the bedrock requirement. A life-changing personal experience with Christ. Peter says, and he almost has kind of given himself the ability to give a little bit of his resume as an elder here, as he says, I'm a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter has had specific personal interaction with Jesus. We know this from Peter's story, right? And not just his physical story, because he spent time with Jesus. He followed Jesus throughout all of Jesus' public ministry. Those three and a half years, Peter was one of the early disciples who were called to follow. He spent time, but it's not just time. It's what that time entailed. It's how Jesus spent time with him. And it's also what Peter experienced as he was spending time with Christ. In order to lead in Jesus' church, elders have to have a personal, life-changing experience with Jesus. It can't just be head knowledge. It can't just be the fact that they've actually accomplished what most people are a week into right now and read through the Bible in a year, right? I, that hardly ever works, but you should try to do it. I'm encouraging you, even exhorting you to try to do it. If it takes you a little longer than a year, that's okay too. But it's not just the fact that these elders had spent time in the Old Testament scriptures that they had and that they knew the law. It's more than that. It's personal. These leaders had to have a personal, direct, life-changing experience with Jesus. And Peter had that. Now, Peter had that because he walked with Christ and he watched Christ. Peter experienced Christ's sufferings at Gethsemane. Peter was there. Remember when Jesus is in the garden and he is praying to the Father to possibly come up with another route that doesn't require him doing what was going to come next. Peter was one of the ones there. He wasn't just present. He was one of the ones taken of the three, taken a little farther in, and Jesus told them to pray. Now, they didn't make it, but they were, he, they were there, and they knew that Jesus was suffering as he talked to his father in the garden. So Peter experienced Christ's suffering at Gethsemane. He also experienced Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. So as Peter refers to sufferings, and then refers in the next sentence, he's not only been a witness of Christ's sufferings, but at the end of verse 1, he says, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Remember, Peter was also there after the resurrection. And he had that personal interaction with Christ. He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' countenance is completely different and he ascends up into heaven. So Peter has been changed. We also know this because of Peter's actions. Because before those personal and direct interactions with Jesus, before the cross, Peter is a mess. He's taking matters into his own hands. He's trying to do what he thinks God should be doing. 
He's occasionally, in a couple of instances, even rebuking Christ, which is not a good place to be. But that's a lot like us, isn't it? Having our doubts, thinking we know better than God, trying to manipulate circumstances to get them to go where we think God should take them. See, before we point the figure too much at Peter, we know he was kind of a bumbling guy here beforehand. But that's the scenario that we're all in without Jesus' life-changing work in our lives. Peter comes out the other side of the resurrection being a completely different man. He all of a sudden is gentle. He all of a sudden, when he's speaking, even when he's being challenged and being thrown in prison or being beaten for his faith, he's responding with grace. He's not pulling swords out and cutting people's ears off after the resurrection. That's before. Why is that? It's because Peter had a life-changing personal experience with Jesus. See, before the cross and the resurrection, Peter was just following him. After the cross and the resurrection, and then the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost, Peter is changed. He's a different person. And that's what he starts in this exhortation with. He's saying, I'm exhorting you. And even for our elders who are here today, I would say, I'm exhorting you, but I'm exhorting you as a fellow elder. This is a requirement for anyone who wants to aspire to this position of leadership in Jesus' church. You have to be changed. It has to be evident. Your life has to look different than it did before. So first, elders must have a life-changing personal experience with Christ. Peter had this. He had it as he experienced Christ's suffering at Gethsemane and the cross. He also experienced Christ's glory at the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus ascended. But then thirdly, in John 21, Peter also has been challenged as a shepherd because Jesus, in talking with Peter in John 21, says to him, Peter, do you love me? Remember, there's a repetitive interaction with him and Jesus. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. Yes. What does he say to him? Oh, good. At least these guys responded. We can all respond. John 21, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Peter sa- he says back to Peter, feed my sheep. If you want to show as an elder in Jesus' church that you love Jesus, you feed the sheep. He says it to Peter three times. Peter's getting annoyed. You can almost kind of hear it even in the words on the page when you read John 21, right? You you get through here and Peter's like, why is he still asking me this question? I've said yes. It's because Jesus wants him to be hyper clear that part of having a life-changing experience with Jesus is that you also care about Jesus' sheep and you're willing to invest. So first, elders must have a life-changing personal experience with Christ. Secondly, Elders must have a loving concern for God's sheep. A loving concern for God's sheep. Look at verses two and three with me. He says to them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a couple of word connections here between the first two verses and verses three and four that I want to look at briefly. 
In verse one, if you go all the way back to the beginning of verse one, Peter says, so I exhort you, I exhort the elders among you. So if you're a note taker, somebody who underlines, go ahead and underline that word, among, okay? Among you, the elders among you. And then if you get down into verse three, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here's what is required for an elder to lead in Jesus' church. They have to be present. You have to be there among people. Not way over people, not removed from people, not out somewhere else doing something else or calling back instructions. Among. One of the best examples I, I really remember when I think about this particular piece about these elders and leaders being among the people. I think through lots of different stories, lots of different movies actually for me that come to my mind, but one of them is this. There's a movie Gladiator, and, and maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but the particular leader in that, the guy who's kind of the hero of this particular story is Maximus Aurelius, right? So he, he is in here, and one of the things, the opening scene to this movie is this. He's the general in charge of all of the armies of Rome at this point, the top general. And when that first scene comes on in that movie and they're going into battle, anybody know where he is? He's in the front. He's the first one in. They're all riding a bunch of horses, but before they go in, he's out front and he's with them. This is key. I get afraid sometimes that often in our day and age, the church has a tendency to reflect our culture a little bit too much. And you can lead being removed if you're leading a business. That's possible to do. You can lead in other areas in the world and not be among the people and with the people you're leading, but you can't do that in Jesus' church. That's not how it works. So this particular position and the definition we gave at the beginning is this. Elders serve the church through leading. See, God has a lot of different ideas about what it looks like to be a follower of him. One of them is what it looks like to lead, and that's through serving. In order to serve, you have to be around the people. You have to be with people. You have to know what people's needs are, and you have to serve. Elders must have a loving concern for God's sheep, the people they're among, not the people they generally kind of know, not the people that they've heard about or names on a page, but the people they're with. So first, in verse two, it says to shepherd. So there's three specific exhortations included in these couple verses, verses two and three. Shepherd, exercise oversight, and be an example. Shepherd, exercise oversight, and be an example. What do these terms mean to God as he's laying these out through Peter for the early church and for us today? He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This idea of a shepherd, we've talked a lot about this. We just came through the Christmas season. So we had the opportunity to talk about shepherds multiple times. And if you've been reading the Christmas story and you've been in your Bibles throughout this season, you've talked about those shepherds in that fateful night when the angels came down and announced that Christ had come to the shepherds and then told them to go find him. These shepherds were such a common analogy 
in the early church in, in ancient history because they were everywhere. Society largely as a whole wouldn't function real well without these shepherds. And the idea here is he says, shepherd the flock. What did it mean to shepherd? It meant that all those sheep were your responsibility. Now, it didn't mean you were perfect, and it didn't mean that all the sheep always made it, but we do have this particular example in Scripture as Jesus tells a story and says that even if he had 100 sheep, if one went missing, he'd go find it and bring it back. That's how intricately loving Jesus wants us to be about those he puts under our care. And it's not only for elders in the church as a whole, it's also for under leaders in the church, other people who are under the elders. And as you have a small group of people you may be investing in or, or discipling, it's for you to also take that challenge and say, hey, I'm going to do as my leaders are doing, as my elders are doing. I'm going to also shepherd the two or three people God's put in my life. Carefully, knowing them, being with them. It's protecting against dangers because sheep were defenseless animals. You ever watch a sheep? There's nothing they're going to do if something attacks them other than bleat really loud. But that's about it, and it's usually the last thing they do when they're attacked. Sheep are defenseless. I'm convinced that's one of the reasons God continually uses this analogy in Scripture. It doesn't mean that you have to have such a low view of yourself if you're not an elder, you're just a defenseless sheep. No, it's not what it means. It means that the role of the shepherd is what's getting defined here. Protection. That's one of the things that elders are called to be as shepherds. Secondly, shepherds feed the flock. I remember being um, in, a, in a class actually in seminary one time. We were talking about pastoral leadership. And uh, the, the guy that was teaching the class is somebody who had actually lived uh, for years, I think it was more than 10 or 15 years, and in the Middle East and had studied scripture and, and kind of been immersed in things over there. And we were talking about this idea of sheep and feeding the sheep. And he was telling me that he actually went and lived on um, these like communes that, that are common in Israel. They're called uh, kibbutz. And he went and he lived there for a year on a kibbutz. And one of the things he learned about sheep is this. If sheep aren't pointed to the food, they'll wander around and just be hungry. That's one of the things that he's saying here. One of the shepherd's roles with a flock is to bring them to the food. Make sure they know where it is, make sure it's there, and then let them eat. So it's not just to protect the flock as a shepherd, it's also to feed the flock as a shepherd. How do you do that in the church? We're not talking about actual food. We're talking about spiritual food. That elders in the church as spiritual leaders are to feed the flock with the word of God. And then lastly, to guide. Protect, feed, and guide. Shepherds guided the flock. They guided them around to different pastures. They knew which pasture they'd already been in, where the food was already gone, and where they were going next. And some of the shepherds would stay with the flock, and some of the shepherds would go and scout, and they would guide them to the next quiet place or find the next watering hole or river. So the guiding was a key aspect of just this one word here. So this word shepherd doesn't just mean somebody who walks around with sheep. 
It's somebody who protects, who feeds, and who guides. The second exhortation here is to exercise oversight. Frankly, in our world, this is something nobody really wants in their life. Nobody wants anyone exercising oversight, right? This happens with kids like when they're like one. You're parenting. And has any parent here ever had a child resist? Maybe a little bit. We, as human beings, don't like oversight. And we, as human beings, need it. This is one of the most difficult things in the spiritual life to actually get a grasp on. This is actually which what reveals maturity. Is do you know what to do with those God has put in your life to help oversight, give oversight to your life? Exercising oversight. The elders are exhorted to do this, but exhorted to do it in three specific ways. Let's look at those briefly. First, exhorted to, they are exhorted to exercise oversight willingly. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. People shouldn't be in the role of elders in the local church, and people shouldn't be leading in Jesus' church if you got to press them to lead all the time. If it's begrudgingly that they're there. Now, I can confidently and actually joyously say that's not the group of elders that you have here in this church. We meet often over different things. We have a monthly regular meeting where we spend an extended amount of time talking about and praying about the people who God's brought to this church. And I can tell you this on multiple occasions, many occasions, as I've been able to spend time with the men that God has called to be elders here at this church, it brings joy to their hearts to pray for and exhort you as elders, to encourage you, to figure out what's going to come next and try to plan for that. It brings joy to their hearts. They, I can see the grace of God in their hearts and in their minds and in their voices when we talk about these types of things. So willingly is an important thing. Oversight is required, but not begrudgingly. Willingly. Secondly, eagerly. How is eagerly different than willingly? Eagerly is something you do with joy because you really like it. Willingly means you don't have to be pushed. But it's more than that. It's almost like Peter, God is saying through Peter here, not only do you not have to be pushed to do it, when you do it, you have to find joy in it and love it. It has to be something that gives you life and encourages you. Eagerly, with joy, not begrudgingly. And then thirdly, gently. He says in verse 8, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, which is to mean you don't do it just to get a reward. You don't do it just to get a pat on the back. Frankly, you often don't get patted on the back. But that doesn't matter. Because we're going to read in a minute about the reward that does come with leading in God's church. And it's not here. It's later. He says, exercise oversight willingly, eagerly, and then gently. 
He finishes by saying, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering. That the opposite of domineering is gentleness. So God's call for leaders in the church is to be gentle. It doesn't mean you can't be firm. We know this, right? We see Jesus rebuking even Peter when Peter is in sin or when Peter is trying to go against Jesus' plan, God's plan through Jesus. He looks at Peter and he says, at one point he even says, get behind me, Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan. He's calling the temptation to go away from the Father's plan coming from Satan. But Peter knows Sometimes rebuke is necessary, but do it with a heart of gentleness. Always with the person's good in mind and the restoration back to Christ. So shepherd the flock, exercise oversight in those three ways, willingly, eagerly, and gently, and then be an example to the flock is what he closes with. Being an example. Jesus is our ultimate example. And his example should be reflected in our lives as we're an example to others. Look like Jesus as you serve and as you lead. And then lastly, as we look at verse 4, elders must have a desire to please Christ alone. This is a hard thing for human beings to actually grasp and do. I would tell you from personal experience and the experience of many people I've been around that are godly people and following Jesus, Actually living a life to desire to please Christ alone is a struggle. Because we're broken people and often we look to others for affirmation. We look to others for them to say, hey, I think you're doing a great job. Or, hey, I really liked that decision. Or, hey, sometimes I really didn't like that decision. And that affects you as a human being. But one of the keys to being a godly elder in Jesus' church. We talked about this is the third area. One, elders must have a life-changing personal experience with Christ. Two, elders must have a loving concern for God's sheep. And then third, elders must have a desire to please Christ alone. Verse four, look at it with me. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's the only reward mentioned for these elders. The only thing that they're called to actually live for, the other things they're called to do, this is the one thing they're called to live for. The unfading crown of glory that comes from the chief shepherd, not from anyone else. From the chief shepherd. In the end, elders in the church don't answer to the sheep. They answer to the good shepherd up in heaven. The chief shepherd in heaven. Now what do we know about the character of God? We know this. As the only perfect shepherd, he always does what is good, right, and perfect. He always has your best in mind. So one of the things as a church I want to exhort and encourage us with is this. As you think about your elders, as you pray for them, and as you follow them, know that God only does what is good for you. And as the leaders in our church pray and follow God, they are asking the Lord to do what is good and right and perfect. So even when it's hard, 
Acknowledge that God is good and that he is sovereign. And trust that the leaders here, the elders in this church, are seeking to do what God wants them to do and what's good for you and sings about his glory. Now, is there any perfect church? There is not. Is there any perfect leader outside of Jesus? There is not. But thankfully, there's always repentance and grace. So, Jesus is the good shepherd who died for the sheep. John 10 tells us that. He is also the great shepherd who lives for the sheep. Hebrews 13 tells us that. And he is the chief shepherd who's going to come again for the sheep. So, as we think about Christ being the perfect shepherd, and we look here at these couple verses and many other places in Scripture we could go, we don't have time for this morning, that talk about what it means to be an under-shepherd in his church, we can know this. Whether you are sitting in the front row today, or whether you're sitting out in a pew today, or whether you're watching online today, you can know this. God has a plan for his church. That plan includes leaders who serve like Jesus. It also includes people who lead and serve under them. And in the end, God's plan for his church is so that everybody would see Jesus clearly, not us. So as we take an exhortation from these four verses, and as we apply it directly to our elders this morning, and as Peter applied it to the elders in the first century, Peter knew there were harder days coming. And he knew the elders needed to be clear, and he knew the people needed to be clear. And I hope that this morning as we go, we would be able to be clear on the fact that God has a sovereign plan for our good and for his glory And the way he's worked that out in his church is through elders who are called to serve through leading. I would ask, as a church, that you would pray for your elders. I am not under the misguided perception that you will always agree with the elders. But I'm asking you to tie your heart to God's. Because God cares deeply about the health of his church. And in order for his church to be healthy, those who are called to lead in his church have to be healthy. And those who are called to follow and be part of his church need to be healthy. So we need to be praying for each other. I will give you uh, one slight little insight that your elders pray for you often. You may not know that, You may not get an actual individual note every time that happens, but your elders pray for you often. We talk about requests, we talk about needs, we talk about who's sick and how we can pray for them and serve them. We spend a significant amount of our time when we are together in prayer. Why? Because that is our best tool. And not only for the elders, but for all of us. Prayer is the best tool you have. It's the biggest weapon you have, and it's the best way that our hearts get tied to Jesus and tied to each other. So we can be a healthy church. 
So as you take this exhortation today, I, my prayer is that all of us would know more about what it looks like to be an elder in God's church from this passage of scripture. And that as our elders today are exhorted and challenged and encouraged, that we as a church would love and care for them genuinely and regularly, knowing that it is a big weight to carry. And there are challenges that come with it. And we are imperfect people following a perfect Savior. So let's be praying regularly that God would continue to work out his perfect plan amongst us as we seek to reflect him to each other and also to the world around us.